All right. Um, just want to begin uh, this year uh, with a with a sermon uh, that I think for me is a is a very personal sermon that I want to share with you. A personal word uh, about something that I want to share that God has been doing in my life for uh, over a decade. Um, but it has to start with a confession. So I must start today with a confession. And the confession that I have to make today is that uh, even though I have really grown up in the church all my life, uh, I've been going to church since I was born. My dad was a pastor of a church, uh, has been a pastor for over 60 years. Uh, I really didn't come to Christ and give my life to Jesus until my junior year in college. And I, that was probably, I was probably about 21 years old. Um, and since then, my entire adult life, um, I have personally struggled with... Uh, spiritual disciplines, they have always been a struggle for me. Like I have, I just, there are great moments of great uh, discipline and then there are struggles where I can go periods of time and struggle with my prayer, struggle with my Bible reading and all that. Um, even this week with uh, Josh Larson, he, Josh and Katie are out of town at a wedding. Um, I had coffee with Josh this week and we were talking about some of the stuff that we want to do this year. And we started talking about the sermon that I was going to preach. And I had to confess to Josh. I said, you know, I got to confess. I'm a, this past month, I've been really busy. And I'm not feeling like I have been on my game around spiritual disciplines, right? And I was feeling guilt and shame around that. Uh, and I had to confess it to Josh. So, um, but that is true. That is the truth uh, of my life. And I think uh, I have been a pastor long enough, I have been in church long enough to know that uh, even though in our church, and I believe our church has incredible, incredible saints that are very consistent, uh, and we hear that all the time in a testimony of the word, I have talked to enough of you, and I know enough of you to know that I think that's a normal struggle for all of us. Like I think if we, as we're looking to start this new year and we're doing a lot of reflection, I think, I just want to create a safe place for us to be like, I think that's a struggle. Like, that is, that is something that we're always constantly battling and working through. And, and I hope that today's sermon will be a tremendous encouragement to you all. It has been a tremendous encouragement to me, and I really want to transfer that to you in the name of Jesus. Um, so my jumping in point is, uh, I think for me, the, the probably the lowest point in my life around personal struggle in relationship with the Lord, in prayer, in being in the Word and all that, was probably about uh, late 2009, so over 13 years ago, um, I went through an incredible desert. Um, as best as I can recall, I've been spending time this week trying to recall that time, I probably, even though I was a pastor of this church, I was your pastor for some of you who, are, who have been here this long, I probably went through a period of three to four months when I didn't even crack the Bible open. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't even, I, I couldn't even open it. I, there was nothing there for me. And before, months before that, as I was trying to be in the Word, it, there was just nothing. Nothing was coming up. It just felt like dry. The Holy Spirit was not in it. I was not gaining any insights, anything useful in my life. And the result of months and months of that were three to four months of basically complete desert. The other thing I need to confess to you is that I am really good at faking it, okay? So if you were in that time, you probably had no clue that was happening. I'm smiling. I'm working hard. At that time, I was putting probably close to 80 to 90 hours a week regularly in the church. I was, doing all, I was checking all the boxes 
Attendance was perfect, right? Checking all the boxes, but internally, I was a mess, a flat-out mess. And like it's usually the case, uh, my wife, Courtney, uh, very early on began to pick up on it and began to go like, you're a mess. <laughs> you're a mess. Like, I am concerned about you. And then another week, two weeks, three weeks go by. I'm like, you're getting worse. I'm noticing. I'm picking this up. And so eventually, after like three or four months, she basically gave me an ultimatum and said, uh, you are not getting out of this hole on your own. And if you don't go and get help, I'm going to go tell the elders. And that freaked me out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've, I've probably spoken about this, probably in smaller groups. I don't think I've ever shared this in a sermon as far as I can remember. But it was like a real gut check for me and the realization that I needed help. And as a pastor, there's nothing more scary for a pastor than to like, be discovered and to have to like, go and get help in their own church around some of these issues. And so um, um, two dear friends of mine at that time, one of them was, his name was Mike Kitojima, if you've been here for a long time. Very few of you probably know him. He was just a guy, Kitojima, you know, you just know who Kitojima is if you, if, uh, if you saw him. Uh, Mike Kitojima and then Matt Champlin, uh, this is before they went off to Turkey. I called them into my house and I said, I have to confess to you that I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I, I, I'm ashamed to tell you that I'm your pastor. And I, I literally opened the Bible, and I, there's nothing there. I, I can't even open it. I haven't opened it in three to four months. I can't do this myself. I need help. And I'm just taking a gamble here. I'm taking a chance and just saying, like, can you help me? And Mike and Matt were so kind and loving to me. And they said, we're here for you. We're going to help you. And, and so what we're going to do is tomorrow, we're going to come in at 6 o'clock in the morning. We're going to come in at 6 in the morning. We're going to open the Bible together. And we're going to nurse you back to health. And we're going to do this for 21 days, every day. And let's see what happens. Who knows what's going to happen. But we're here tomorrow. And Matt and, and, uh, and Mike showed up at 6 in the morning. And we sat on my couch. And we opened the Bible. And I believe... Matt, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we went to Psalm 119. I think we, we were just like, let's start with Psalm 119. And we just slowly began to read Psalm 119. And over the weeks, over the days and the weeks as we spent time in Psalm 119, I just began to see God bring me back to health. Begin to, I began to hear God's voice again. And this little 21-day experiment that we did back in late 2009 went on for eight months in a row. And this thing grew to over, I think we had sometimes maybe up to like 18 people, sometimes 20 people at our house. We had to eventually move it to, we had another building. There was too many people in our house. And people were coming in at 6 o'clock in the morning to open the Word of God every day. And we had black, white, Latino in there. We had single moms. Uh, that were literally just leaving their kids and just going like, I need to hear from God, and then hopefully I can get home early enough to I can take them to school. Uh, we had uh, several people that were homeless. It was just an incredible experience of a journey of going together and hearing from God. But it started with my, um, Kirojima and Matt making a commitment to come to a house, and we started with Psalm 119. 
And so to me, this is, if you're a part of this church, you know that we are basement groups and community groups are really important to us. I am 100% a believer that this is one of the primary ways in which God uses to help us engage with him, to help us connect with him. And so over the years, over the last 12, 13 years, uh, as I have led different community groups, uh, I have gone back to Psalm 119. I've done it at least four times with different community groups and different basement groups. And our community group, just this past year, we went through Psalm 119, right? Uh, And we spent, I think, almost five months in Psalm 119, slowly crawling through it as a community group, meditating on our own and discussing and praying through it. And what I want to share with you is really a little bit of like what I've learned over the last 12 years. I, I, as I've done the math, I think I've probably done about altogether about 18 months of slow meditation and community through Psalm 119. And what I'm going to share with you, and hopefully if you've been in my basement, uh, hopefully you will see a lot of your fingerprints in this sermon. This is really a community project. Um, but yeah, I, I just really believe that Psalm 119 has something for us today. If you are like me, and you're a struggler when it comes to your spiritual disciplines. So a little bit about Psalm 119, um, three things. There's so much that I could say. If you get a commentary, you, the first, the introduction will be 40 pages to 100 pages of just, before you even talk about this, there's so much. Three things that I want to I wanna highlight. The first one is Psalm 119 is a long poem, okay? It's a long poem. It's the lo- longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. It's really the same length as the book of Philippians, the book of James. Uh, so it's long. Uh, the way I liken it too is like when you know when you're a kid and, or anytime you go through uh, to uh, on a trip, uh, say from Denver to LA, you're gonna see a lot of things on that trip. Probably at the end of the trip, you're gonna remember, well, that was a long trip, right? That's kind of like when you read the, the book of Psalms, you're like, all you remember is like that was long, right? So it's long. The second thing is is very repetitive. Um, there's 176 verses, like I said, and all but three of those verses have a reference to the Word of God in some way. So it's just it's very repetitive, and then there's just, just little variations to each stanza, but it's very repetitive. And lastly, uh, when you read it, as I've been meditating and reading it for years, um, it's, it, it feels very disconnected. Okay, so when, if you read, it's like, almost like reading the book of Proverbs. When you read the book of Proverbs, it just feels very disconnected. The, 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 the Psalm 119 feels very disconnected. Um, and so what I want to do today is, uh, as I've really meditated and thought about how to preach this sermon, uh, what I want to do is I want to give you, um, I, I'm liking in this, like the Psalm 119, like a, like a tent, like a big tent that you have to put together. Uh, not one of those that you just like open up and just pops up. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about those you have to like actually like engineer together, right? Um, the first thing you want to do, when you first look at it, there's all these poles and stuff, right? And the first thing you want to do is go and find the long poles, right? Every one of those tents has like two or three long poles. poles. You want to figure out how to put those together and then figure out where they go structurally. And if you can put that together, then the tent starts to take shape, right? The, anybody, am I crazy? Like, you, you've, everybody, like, tracks with me if you've been camping? Okay, good, okay. So what I want to do is just, all I'm going to do today is give you, like, the long poles that I've seen over 18 months of reflection on Psalm 119. Okay, the first poll that I want to show you um, is this theme that the psalmist is very aware 
that even though he's a, he, he has been meditating on the Torah for decades, he's very aware that he's dependent on God for understanding. He's very aware. You're going you're gonna to see it. If you read this psalm, and I really encourage you to read it this month, he's very aware that he needs God to help him understand, to, sel- to help him see God in the scriptures. And so seven times, for example, he says, uh, he says, give me understanding. He would say things like, cause me to understand the way of your precepts, verse 27. Verse 73, give me understanding to learn your commands. 169, may my cry come before you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Give me understanding. Ten times he says, teach me. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. You are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. May your face shine on your servant and teach me your decrees. Over and over and over again, the psalmist is asking, crying out to the Lord in this poem, in this psalm, in this prayer. He's saying, Lord, God, I need you to help me understand. Teach me your ways. Now, why is that? Why is it that the psalmist, this old saint that has taken so much time to write this beautiful poem, is emphasizing this? It's because we're all aware of this. We have a big problem. All of us have a big problem. We all have some kind of inner blindness. We all have some, some kind of an inner orientation that is constantly drawing us away from God's truth. Like we don't have to do anything. We just close our eyes and it just happens. There's a drift that is built into our nature, into who we are. And this old saint of old is so deeply aware of that. He knows that whenever we look into the scriptures, we have a tendency to ignore what we don't want to hear. We just naturally do it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. This poem makes it very clear that we need the Spirit of God. If there's any hope for us, we need the Spirit of God to open our eyes, to illuminate our minds. Now, what I want to do right now is I want to zoom in on two particular verses that I think kind of really help us frame, help, at least has helped me frame this issue of this inner blindness, this, this issue of our need for dependence. I want to point you to verse 37. So if you have your Bibles open, please open to that, verse 37, Psalm 19:37. And I want to zoom in on, on, on this first uh, part of it. Verse 37 says, Turn my eyes away from worthless things, says the saint. Turn my eyes from worthless things. Brothers and sisters, our eyes naturally have a tendency to be drawn to the wrong things in this world. Apart from God's help, our eyes will always be fixed on those worthless things that the psalmist is saying we need help with. Do you remember Jonah? When Jonah, in chapter 2, he's in 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 the belly of the fish, right? And he's, uh, chapter 2 is just basically a, a poem and another prayer where Jonah is confessing to God his sins as to why he is in the belly of that whale. And look at what he says in Jonah 2.8. He says, well, he's on the belly there. He's praying this prayer of repentance. He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. 
That word, worthless idols, is the same Hebrew word that Psalm 119.37 says, turn my eyes away from worthless things. It's idols. Idols are the things that cling to us that we find security in. Any one of the idols that we have in our hearts are going to be things that are going to take our eyes away from the Lord. The reason why you and I have a hard time finding Christ, finding uh, God in Scripture, is because we are clinging to our idols. And this plays out all over the Scripture. Now, some of these idols can be cultural idols, okay? Uh, we are in a Western culture that's very individualistic, right? It's, uh, it's fiercely individualistic. Just know that when you're reading the Scriptures, those, the, the culture or idols in which we live in are going to have a huge influence in what we actually see and what we actually don't see. We live in a very wealthy society. At the end of the day, we are the wealthiest country in the world. The cultural idol of wealth is going to have an incredible, incredible influence into how we read the scriptures. An example of this, and we talk about this all the time uh, as elders here, is we have invented the word middle class, right? In the Bible, when you read the Bible, there's really the rich and the poor. There's really two classes of people, socioeconomically, right? Well, we have invented middle class. So when we read the Bible, we can go like, oh, it's talking about the rich. Oh, I'm not, I'm not the rich. I'm just middle class. So, okay, great. I don't have to talk about, I don't have to think about that. I don't have to meditate on that. And when it talks about the poor, well, I'm not poor either. So, I don't have to, so we just ignore huge parts of the scripture. And I just want to tell you, that's an idol that's clinging to us, right? And we have to just call it out. And we, ha- we need the spirit of God to help us overcome those things. This is what the Psalms is crying about and praying about. Let's talk about gender. We live in a male-dominated society. Jason preached an incredible sermon, right, this year about Mary Magdalene trying to write all the maligned and misunderstood uh, takes on Mary Magdalene over the centuries, right? Why? Because we are a male-dominated society, so we have to understand that that's an idol that we have culturally that influences how we read Scripture. So all of those things are, th- are true. There's also personal idols. And John, thank you so much for sharing your testimony about your addiction and your struggle, right? And those of you, and we have many in our church that have struggled with addiction to all kinds of substances and pornography and all those things, right? And, 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 and you can probably speak much more eloquently than I can, but you know that if you're addicted to something, if you're struggling with that, it's really hard to, uh, to, to see straight in the Scriptures and to find hope in the Scriptures, Okay, so all of those things play a huge role in our lives. And so my first point and my first encouragement is maybe this is the first good prayer to pray this year. Lord, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Now look at verse 18. I just want to now flip over to the the positive side of turning away from idols. And that is, it's not enough to just turn away from something. What are we turning to? And look at what verse 18 says. I love what the psalmist says here. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Somebody talked about New Year's resolutions. How are we doing with those? (laughs) Right? 
right? We often make New Year's resolutions around Bible reading, memorization, being in the Word, quiet times, and all that stuff. And oftentimes, I've been guilty of it, right? Two, three weeks, a month later, we're off the, you know, off the cart. Why is that? I believe that one of the main reasons why that happens is because we are actually not seeing the wonderful things that the psalmist is talking about. Let me ask you, what is the primary emotion that you feel when you read the scriptures? How do you feel when you read the scriptures? What is the primary emotion? Is it guilt? Is it fear? Is it discouragement? Is it shame? For many of us, and for me, for many years when I used to open the scriptures, all I could see was commands and to-dos, right? Like, you can't read the Gospels and, and, and the way Jesus talks about all the different parables. I was, I'll be like, oh my God, I suck. I, I literally, like, I suck. Okay, Jesus, I get it. Whack me in the head again. Yes, I suck. I'll do better. Like, it's just, right? Oftentimes, that's how we read the scriptures. I just want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that if that is how we read the scriptures, it's no wonder that, that we stop reading them. I, who wants to do that? That's torture. Right? A friend of mine many years ago said that if we are not hearing the I love you, when we, when we read the scriptures and we don't hear I love you, we are hearing a different voice. And I just want to tell you right now, brothers and sisters, in all seriousness, if you, when you read the scriptures, you feel guilt and shame, that is not the voice of Christ. That's a different voice. Okay, now, the author, the, the psalmist says here, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. What are those wonderful things? Let me give you a clue. The prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, when he's talking about the prophecy of Jesus, right? This is a verse that we have heard all the time. He said in Isaiah 9, he said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called wonderful. Those wonderful things that the psalmist is talking about, Isaiah is saying, that is our wonderful Savior. The same Hebrew word in Isaiah 9 is the word that is being used in verse 18. Those wonderful things is a person. It's a person that we can love and know, and his name is Jesus Christ. This morning when we sang the song, Jesus be the center over all, we sang, from my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. This is why we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, we cannot see Jesus in the Scriptures. It's spiritually discerned, it says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And so my challenge to you and my desire for you is that you would see and know and love the wonderful Savior through the Scriptures. Okay, let me talk about the second pole uh, in the tent of Psalm 119. The second poll has to do with what happens then when we start seeing all these wonderful things in the scriptures. 
I can tell you right now that it will revolutionize your reading of Scripture. Look at verse 10. Let me just go real quick to verse 10. I'm just going to do a quick uh, scan here. Look at, what, look at what he says. When we see the, the beautiful, wonderful Savior in the Scriptures, we start saying, I seek you with all my heart. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart. Verse 12, teach, uh, verse 13, with my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. Verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes. 15, I meditate on your precepts. 16, I delight in your decrees. That's what happens when we start seeing the wonderful Savior all throughout the scriptures. You can literally just close your eyes and put your finger in any verse, and you will read things like, I ponder your statutes. I trust and believe in your commands. I will not forget your law. Verse 48, I love, we read it, Cynthia read it. I lift up my hands to your commands. I worship as I'm reading the scriptures. I stand in awe, says verse 120. Listen to one, verse 131. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Verse 20, my soul is consumed with the longing for your loss at all times. In other words, this, the psalmist is saying, I am, I, am, I am panting, I am dying of thirst, I am, I am, I am, I am lovesick when I'm not in the Word and I'm not meeting this wonderful Savior. I am lovesick. I cannot wait to meet Jesus. I cannot wait to meet God in my Bible reading, my study. And notice that he's not saying, I long to have a Bible study. I, I long to take a seminary class. He's panting. He's pouring over the scriptures. He's passionate about it. Verse 148 blows my mind. He says, my eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. So what's going on here? The best way I can explain this, and I hope, I hope this really lands with you, is, is, is what happens when you're falling in love with somebody. What happens when you're falling in love with somebody, right? In those first few weeks, right, you're staying. How many of you stayed up at, like, all watches of the night, right, when you're first falling in love with your spouse or with somebody, uh, meditating on that person, replaying conversations, right? We stay up all night replaying conversations, things that were said. We're pondering everything, what they said over and over again, and we don't want to miss any single detail, Every time we get together with that person, right, we're beginning to make mental notes in our heads of, of what they like and what they don't like. Uh, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out what makes them happy and what makes them distressed and sad. And we're not just listening. We're looking for... For, a, for, for a facial expressions, body language. We're, we're interviewing their parents and their friends, right? We want to find out everything we can. Why? Because we love that person, right? Can you relate to that? And why do we pour over their, their love letters and the notes that they give us? It's not because we like love the paper or even love the words themselves. No, it's because we love the person. And what I want you to see, brothers and sisters, is that when we begin to see, with the Holy Spirit's help, the wonderful Savior everywhere in Scripture, 
that's going to melt our hearts with love. And, and, and once you start seeing those things, now all of a sudden you want to be in the Scriptures. You don't even need a Bible reading plan. You want to go and find the Savior. You want to, you want to, you want to, you want to read. You want to study. You want to memorize the Scriptures. You want to ponder and meditate. This is why we do testimony of the Word. This morning we heard from several of our brothers and sisters how they have been pondering and the things that they have been finding in the Scriptures that have been uh, an encouragement to them. And then the third poll in the tent of Psalm 119 that I want to I leave you with is this idea of joyful obedience. Obedience today is not a very popular word. You know, we talk about meditation, cool. Obedience, not cool. All right, you can see that mean, right? You know, those means where they're like, you know, like, this is not cool, and you got a picture, and like, you're just kind of like depressed, and then like, really cool. That's the meme right here, right? But the joyful obedience that comes out of this, let me look at verse 129. It just love this verse. Your statutes are wonderful. There goes that word, wonderful again. What happens? Therefore, I obey. I hold fast to you statues, verse 32. I will, oh, 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 listen to this one. This is, talk about somebody that's in love. This is what the psalmist says. I will always obey your law forever and ever. How many times have you said to your, you know, when you're dating, like, I will never hurt you, honey. Like, right, like, like no, yeah, you're going to hurt him. But like, our heart is to, and the psalmist is so in love with guys, like, I will always, forever, I will, you know, like he's in love. Later on, he's going to confess sin, he, 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 but he's so in love with God. He's like, forever, I will obey you. I love you so much. Man, can our heart be, what, what, what happens if our heart was like that? As a church, like forever, we're going to love you. We're going to obey you. Here's the thing. When you're, just continuing with the love theme here, when you're in love with somebody, like I said in the previous point number two, and you begin to obsess over every detail, and you begin to, uh, to, 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 to know everything about them, their likes and their dislikes, you know what we're actually really doing? We're doing that because we actually want to conform our behavior. The reason why we're pouring all and meditating and trying to understand what all those different things is because we want to conform our behavior so we don't do the things that they don't like. And we do the things that they like. There's actual behavioral change. Why? Because we love that person. We submit to the law of their nature. Every single one of us has a different law, nature, different likes and dislikes. And, and part of being in love with somebody is you're submitting to, that, to, the, to the law of their nature as best as we can, right? That's what, we, that's what love is. We submit to the law of their likes and dislikes. We submit to the law of their loves and their hates. And why are we doing that? Because we love that person. And I just want to tell you the same is true with our relationship with God. In Psalm 119, over and over, we see a saint that is, is pouring over the law, over the judgments, over the statutes, over the word of God, of the Torah, and he's longing to understand what does is, what is his Savior love? What does his Savior not like? How, he wants to see the world through the same way that his Savior that he's in love with sees it through. And then he's joyfully obeying with delight. 
He's submitting to the, to, the, to the law of God's likes and dislikes. Is it out of fear? No. It's out of love. And when you're in love with God, you are naturally going to want to bring all of your life into alignment with his desires. It will not be a burden. Amen. It will not be a burden. And, and the crazy thing is, when you start doing that, you're not even going to think about it in terms of obedience. It's just, like you, it is obedience, but you're not even thinking about it in those terms. One last thing that I want to share with you about, that I've been learning about joyful obedience. Um, and I think this is probably something that um, I had no idea. This is just the last four weeks that God has really, really been teaching Courtney and I. And, a um, um, couple of weeks, uh, four or five weeks ago, um, first, first Sunday in December, actually. So um, after the service, I had an um, uh, interview, membership interview with Heidi. Where's Heidi? There's yours. And so we did a membership interview over here uh, for about 30 minutes or so. Finished the interview around 12.15, and uh, my family had already left to go home. Uh, there was a World Cup game. I think Brazil was playing, and so all my kids were out there watching the game. And I was honestly trying to just get out, get out of here as fast as I can because I want to go and see the game. And um, I come out, and then all of a sudden, right in front of our front door, I see a group of about 15 men. Right away, I could tell that they were Latino, and I'm like, what in the world is happening in Roberto's church? It's like a revival happening today. Because their service, their Spanish, our Spanish service is at one o'clock, and um, and so I go into the circle, and uh, Esper, who is uh, one of the leaders of Roberto's church, uh, Renuevo, is smiling, and he goes, "Oh yeah, these are all my Venezuelan friends. Uh, they just arrived here yesterday, um, and there's 60 of them coming." And I immediately, I immediately knew exactly what that meant. I knew, I, I just became instantly overwhelmed. I knew that they were going to be homeless, that they literally have nothing but their backpack and whatever they have in their clothing. And I just, I just immediately was like just overwhelmed. And so you know what I did? I ignored it. I just basically started talking about the World Cup and the soccer game and like, isn't that awesome, Brazil? Because South Americans, we love Brazil. I just started talking about Brazil and the World Cup and awesome. And very quickly, within two minutes, exited that circle, and started walking away. Thankfully, I saw Henry, I don't know who, Henry, who he was talking to, and I just tapped him in the shoulder, and I said, hey, there's some Venezuelans over there, you might want to go and talk to them, because I knew that Henry would go and talk to them, and I just kept walking straight beeline to my house. I wanted to ignore that whole thing. I wanted to just, like, I didn't see anything, nothing happened. And I basically did like what I call now a Jonah walk. I just walked straight in the opposite direction of what God was doing. And the whole time, the whole 10 minute walk to my house, God was just pounding on me. What do I have to do for you to see that you need to get involved in this? I just brought, I got to bring 60 undocumented Venezuelans that just came in the day before to your church. And you're going to walk away? And God just pounded and pounded and pounded. And so by the time I got home, uh, I told Courtney, I had no idea, she had no idea what was happening. I said to Courtney, I said, honey, 
I said, our lives will never be the same. <laughs> Before I even tell you anything of what's happening, our lives will never be the same. I knew it. I said, honey, there's 60 Venezuelan immigrants. We had, none of us had any clue that this was coming, that this was happening. There are a providence right now in Roberto's church. And we don't know what this means. We had a conversation. We don't know what this means. I have no idea what this means, but we're going to obey God. Amen. And we're going to dive head first into this, and, and we're just going to obey. And I think the big point that I want to point to you right now is that what I've been learning about obedience, joyful obedience, is that we have a problem in America. And you know what that problem is? Our obedience is always measured. Guys, our obedience is always measured. Are, are we obedient? Yeah, we want to be obedient, but we're always doing a cost-benefit analysis. Let's be honest. I had to be honest with this. And so, yeah, like I, we as Americans want to know what is it going to cost me, and then we can go like, yep, yeah, and then obedience looks great, right? And we do all kinds of, even, even childcare working, whatever. Like we go like, okay, that's measure right. I think I understand two hours, done, right? And we want to measure it. And this, this thing that God is doing... <laughs> There's no way we can ever possibly measure what that's going to look like. Like, God, like, I'm an engineer. I like to compute things. And I'm like, my, my little brain just froze. <laughs> and we had to make a decision. Are we going to be all in on this? Even though we have no clue what this is going to cost us. And we did. And I just want to tell you, I think you, many in this church have as well. And so just want to bring you up to speed really quickly in the last five minutes here. Um... Over the last four weeks, we have seen God do, I think, something incredibly powerful in our lives and in the lives of our city and in the lives of our Venezuelan friends. Uh, right currently, we have 60 uh, Venezuelans. And if you've been uh, listening to the, um, to the radio and to newspapers, I think that over 3,600 Venezuelans have excuse me, arrived here in Denver. That's the latest number. And I think Things that maybe have slowed down a little bit, but for a whole month, every day we're getting 100 to 150 new Venezuelans. So the city has a massive problem, uh, and I think the city is actually doing the best they can. I'm really proud of uh, a lot of the efforts that are happening. Um, and obviously, we as a, as a little church, we, we can meaningfully help 3,600 3, Venezuelans, but we feel very, very called as a church that God has brought, and this number 60. That's just the number that keeps popping up for us. That's 60 roughly on every Sunday have been coming. Uh, and God has called us to do a walk of obedience and just dive in head first with Roberto's church uh, and do whatever that is. And we're submitting to obedience joyfully. And there's so much joy in it. Um, and so what are some of the things that we have been doing? Uh, really, it's uh, Sunday mornings, uh, Sunday afternoons, I mean, after this service. Uh, we need help with transportation, right? We need to go and pick up our Venezuelan friends who are up at the rec center in North Park. Um, and so many of you have been helping with that, driving the bus, driving cars, bring them here. Roberto has been doing a beautiful job with this church uh, of really reorienting the entire service, the entire church, to just love and serve our Venezuelan neighbors. Um, and they are doing phenomenal. At the end of every service, we are doing a lunch. Uh, and so we're feeding 70 to 80 of our uh, Venezuelan friends uh, every Sunday as well. So, yeah, just having the logistics of having to buy the food, cook the food. And we're basically week to week just trying to figure this thing out. Um, but that is something that we are doing on a weekly basis. Uh, and then there's just all the things that go with helping uh, somebody that just arrived to our country. Um, they need jobs. 
And so uh, what that looks like is some of us, uh, I know Henry has done some of this, I've done some of this, just literally just taking the bus at 5.45 in the morning, going to the front of the building at the rec center and saying, anybody that needs a job, I don't have any jobs, but if you need a job and you want to go on a journey to go look for a job, I'll drive you anywhere. And just basically just being available and putting, you know, 20, 30 people on the bus and just going around town, dropping some of them downtown, some of them at the Home Depot, uh, going down to the, to the Colfax and Dayton day labor corner, right? And just spending hours standing with them in solidarity, just going like, I'm here. I, I don't know what's going to happen, praying and going like, Lord, we need jobs, right? And we have seen amazing miracles. Um, uh, we are, um, there's something that just kind of jumps to my mind is um, there's uh, some of the ladies that have been coming to our group, to our church, um, have been just desperate for jobs. And with Christmas coming up, uh, we have been praying with them, crying with them, because they're like, they left their kids back home. They haven't seen their kids in three, four months. And they can't imagine not sending a Christmas gift for their kids, for clothing, and some of the things they need. And so just praying with them and asking God for, for breakthroughs. And then at the, uh, like literally the next day, going to help people get jobs and finding no jobs. And that night, uh, having the ladies go like, hey, can we go with you to the day labor place? And I'm like, there's like no ladies there. Like literally women don't get jobs at this day labor. This is just guys for construction. But I'm like, hey, come on over. You know, it's worth taking a shot at it. And so the next morning they're in the bus and we are over there at the day labor. And about an hour later, guess who got the first job? One of the ladies. And it's a miracle. Like literally, I couldn't believe it. And then she went and worked for one day, and then she got jobs with two of the other ladies, and, and, and they, they actually worked for six days straight, uh, and the joy of seeing them now, like, send money to back home and all that. Anyways, there's just so many different things that we are seeing uh, that are just beautiful and hard and difficult. The last thing I want to mention is last Sunday, uh, Pastor Roberto has done a great job. You would be so proud of the work that his church is doing um, and so we have, we're working together with him and his church to start five Spanish-speaking community groups uh, in the next two weeks. So Courtney and I will do one of those groups, and then his church will do four others. Um, and we have about 50 Venezuelans that basically raised their hand and said, like, I want to be in a community group. I need family. I, I, I want to be. And so, like, it's really beautiful. Like, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. So this is the type of stuff that God is doing in our body. And we want to invite you to be a part of that, whatever that looks like. But just want to let you know, we are diving headfirst as a church in this, and we need all of us uh, to play that role. So what, how do we need help? Uh, first and foremost, job leads. Okay? Right now, that is the number one thing we need. Uh, if you know of anybody that needs house cleaning, general house cleaning, or snow removal when it snows, uh, or somebody that's moving and they're going to hire a, a moving agency, like just let us know. We can send you four, five people, whatever you need. We can help facilitate that, uh, especially Henry and I. We, we are kind of coordinating all the day labor stuff. Um, if you know somebody that needs help uh, at a restaurant or construction, if you're in the trades and you, and you know that a company needs help or day labor, like let us know. We, uh, we guarantee you we have, we have people that we can send you that would do an excellent job. So... Um, I think job leads is number one. Um, transportation, I mentioned. Uh, if you can help after the service, uh, help us uh, go and pick up our neighbors, our Venezuelan neighbors. We need help with that. Uh, meal prep for the Sunday, mo Sunday afternoons as well. 
We need help with cooking, help with donations for food. Obviously, all of this is not on the budget. We did not anticipate all this. Uh, so yeah, we need uh, people to donate, to cook. Uh, housing leads will be the, the other need. Um, there is a rumor out there that they're only going to give them 14 more days at the shelter. Uh, and I have no idea what that means. I cannot, I, I cannot imagine that the city's going to dump him into the streets, but I know everyone's confused. Everybody's flipping out about it. And we don't really know what's happening, but we anticipate we're going to need help finding probably, my gut says, between 10 and 12 apartments, like low-income apartments. And what we're doing is we're, we're, we're subdividing them into groups of four to six Okay, and so they're all banding together to like make it work. So when you're an immigrant in a country that you're undocumented, uh, it's not like us that we can just kind of like get a regular job. You have to cobble things together. And so there's groups of four to six that are saying like, we're banded together, all of our money, we're gonna pull it together so we can pay the rent and we can actually be on our own. And if that takes a year or two until we can all get our own apartments, that's what we're gonna do. So. We're really working hard to like keep those subgroups together, and what we're really telling them is, uh, if you like, if if it's four or five of you, if four out of the five you guys find a regular job, like we will help you get an apartment. So I'm saying that to them, okay? So just know, like, I'm promising that. I don't know how we're gonna do it, <laughs> but I'm going like it's like we have to help them. And so what we really could use help with is 10 to 12 people. Uh, and I'm going to go into my other networks outside of Providence uh, to other churches. But if, just know, like, if you don't speak Spanish, but you're like, I want to do something, probably the most meaningful thing you can do is like, become a housing champion for a subgroup of people, and we can help you communicate and all that. But what that would look like is you're basically saying, like, just give me a group of five to six that have some kind of a regular income, and I will take it from here, and I will mobilize my own networks, and we'll find out an apartment. We'll figure out the first and the last month's rent. Like, we will help with beds and all of that stuff. We just need probably 10 to 12 champions to help us figure that out. I would say that's probably in the next two weeks, a uh, really important thing that, that we need. So uh, that's an opportunity that would be significant. We talked about uh, our English learning groups that we're having. Uh, we have 60 friends that want to learn English, and what a more beautiful thing to begin to participate in our uh, Saturday, January 21st uh, gathering. I hope you guys know that there's probably a lot of people coming. So it's, it's like quadrupled. Whatever you had in your head is quadrupled. I can tell you that right now. Uh, yes. Um, and then lastly, as you can tell, there's just a lot here. Um, I would say admin support. Uh, right now, things look like um, it's kind of like when you're at war and then you're, you're like a medic. Okay, like our team right now, we're all medics. There's bullets flying and like we're just trying to keep people from, from dying from bleeding. And then, like, don't ask us to organize anything. Like, we're just trying to put fingers and plug holes. We really could use somebody to just kind of, like, uh, help with some admin. So if you have time, you're like, I, I don't know English, and, uh, but, I, but I have time to help coordinate things. My goodness, we could really use that help. Uh, what was that? Spanish. Spanish. Whatever I said, I don't even know what I said. Uh, uh, but here's the thing. Uh, we have a meeting on Thursday during lunch break. So if you're at lunch break, we, you can, we can Zoom you in. If you're interested in being in the loop about what's happening Thursday from 12 to 1, it's kind of like our team meeting where we really kind of like catch up on what's happening in every front of this ministry, and then we talk about what we're going to do next. Um, so if you want to do some admin support and be there and take minutes and help coordinate things, that's great. And then I will give you access to all of our WhatsApp threads. Like, I literally, if you know me, you know that I'm not a texter or emailer. 
Like the last month I have been in WhatsApp trying to keep people moving on WhatsApp. It's unbelievable. So like we could, I'll give you all those threads and you can help me. Uh, and you can just use Google Translate. You can literally do a lot with Google Translate. Um, but anyways, that's, that's my sermon, guys. I love you all.